0: Welcome to this edition of DBSA's Real Recovery Podcast. For more information, visit us on our website, www.dbsalliance.org. We've been there. We can help.
1: Joan, I'm Peter Ashenden and I'm the Executive Vice President of the Depression Bipolar Support Alliance. We're an organization that was founded on the premise that people can and do get well if they regularly participate in self-help, and many of us have the lived experience. And Joan Nera, we're so pleased that you would be able to take and join us today. Joan is the President and Founder of the Psychiatric Service Dog Society, a recipient of the 2006 Eli Lilly Welcome Back Award in Primary Care. Dr. Isnaira has spent the past 10 years pioneering psychiatric service dog therapeutic model. Building upon her analytical training as a scientist and her insights as a mental health consumer, do, uh, Joan has Joan and members of her online community identified over 30 tasks or functions that psychiatric service dogs may be trained to provide to their owners who are disabled by refractory symptoms of severe mental illness. So, Joan, we welcome you and we thank you very much for taking time out of your very busy day um, to uh, to record this very important event. So, Joan, let's start off by t- uh, Can you tell us what a psychiatric service dog is? and what do they do? First, I want to thank you for asking me to
0: be a part of this podcast. I'm very honored uh, to do this uh, and share the information and the excitement I have about psychiatric service dogs. Um, The term service animal is actually a legal term, and it falls under the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, as I'm sure that many of your listeners may have heard about or be familiar with. And under the ADA, a service animal means any guide dog, signal dog or other animal individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of an individual with a disability. Uh, Now, in the case of psychiatric service dogs, um, such a dog would be partnered with a person who lives with a chronic mental health disability. As far as the question what a psychiatric service dog does, well, the answer is it really depends on the needs of the person that it's serving. Um, For example, if you have major depression and you have difficulty waking up in the morning, you can train a dog to wake you up and they'll be a lot more assertive than your alarm clock would be. Uh, If you have forgetfulness about, let's say you take medication three times a day and it's really hard to remember that middle of the day dosage, You can train a dog to remind you to take medication at a specific time. Dogs have a natural clock in their heads, and when you connect that or associate that with treats, um, you will get the dog's attention, and it will be very reliable at the same time of day. Um, Some people, when they get depressed, have difficulty kind of keeping keeping the house tidy, doing laundry. Um, It's actually kind of a fun thing to to train your dog to help you do laundry or put, put clothes that are scattered on the floor into a laundry basket, and that can be very helpful. Now, for folks with bipolar, uh, sometimes, depending on the dog and the relationship the person has with the dog, some dogs will alert to hypomanic episodes before their handler realizes that they're starting to go into a hypomanic episode, and that kind of alert is very valuable information because you receive the alert before you've lost uh, many of your faculties. And so you're still able to intervene with some of the skills that you've gotten from therapy or if you're comfortable adjusting your medication, you can use a PRN medication. Uh, By The same same idea is for panic disorder, uh, some dogs will alert in advance to panic attacks. And for anyone who suffers from that, you know the fear of having a panic attack in public is a really great, fear and so having a dog that's very exquisitely attuned to you that can let you know you're starting to escalate that's very valuable information and you can use that information to prevent the attack or if you're a little too far gone to get yourself to a safe and quiet place so that the dog can be with you during the attack um, there are some other things uh, if you are having a panic attack your dog uh, a service dog could be trained to stay with you to focus on on you, Um, they can be trained to lead you to a safe place, and this is good also for folks with schizophrenia who have fugue states, and who may be uncomfortable in crowds. Their, their dog can be trained to lead them out of the crowd to a safe place. Um, along the lines with schizophrenia also is dogs can help with hallucination discernment. Um, and we know of a couple different techniques for t- training that, and it's really kind of an interesting phenomenon. Now, for folks that have dissociative disorders, a dog can be trained to interrupt a dissociative episode because when a dog is watching its handler and the handler has started to dissociate, it's very obvious to the dog that something is wrong and a lot of times they will naturally interrupt dissociative states and so once a handler realizes that that's what her dog is doing she can then begin to positively reinforce that behavior so that it becomes more reliable and lastly these are just a scattering of examples um i wanted to throw in something with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. A lot of folks with PTSD have hypervigilance. They're very concerned about the um, appearance of triggers, things that are going to remind them of their trauma events. And uh, one way to utilize a dog with that kind of hypervigilance is to let your dog inform you or perform an environmental assessment about the presence or absence of danger. So these are just a few examples. Uh, There are many more ideas, and I really credit the mental health consumer community for
1: innovating these ways that dogs can help us. Well, that was very enlightening, Joan, and I thank you very much for sharing all of those different roles with us. I know in the case of my own two service dogs, just having them there uh, especially on the tough days when my symptoms, uh, which are uh, related to depression, um, are, are really getting bad and getting tough to deal with. Just the mere fact of having to get up out of bed and going and, and taking the dogs out for a walk and spending time with them and having them around me has been so helpful with my own issues. Um, but it is interesting to hear how many different things that dogs can do for people with the appropriate training. Joan, if I may move along, what are some of the benefits a person living with the mood disorder can gain from having a psychiatric service dog? Well,
0: um, first I'd like to mention that, you know, any time you have a dog in your life, whether that dog is a service animal or a pet, there are some benefits. And some of those include, well, having a dog certainly adds structure to your day because dogs have needs and they need to be fed, they need to be walked, they need exercise. And as you know, when you're depressed, it's very hard to maintain the structure of your life. And so dogs kind of make that demand upon you and that's actually a healthy thing. Um, they're also great for combating the loneliness that often accompanies uh, mental illness. And one of the ways they do that is when you're out in the community walking a dog people are naturally drawn to you and if you're taking your dog to exercise at a dog park on a regular basis, you'll make friends there. And it's really nice to know that you're you're not always alone. Of course, dogs, whether they're a pet or a service animal, provide unconditional love, loyalty, and devotion. And and these characters have a tremendous therapeutic uh, potential. And of course, your dog is a trustworthy and impartial informant. And just talking to your dog and, and listening back is a very helpful um, practice. Now, if you do decide to train your dog to be a service dog, um, working with a psychiatric service dog certainly helps you better manage those refractory symptoms. Um, Use of a psychiatric service dog over time develops the insight that the handler has into her own mental illness, and this is going to help you better manage
1: your disability in general. Oh, very interesting thank you again for sharing that how would someone go about training their dog to be a service dog
0: well um, there are really three parts To service dog training, and this is for all service dogs, whether it's a guide dog or a mobility dog or a psychiatric service dog, and it always starts with basic obedience. Um, And really, any time you have a dog, whether a pet or service animal, you really should train the dog in basic obedience because it's going to enhance your relationship with the dog. So that's where everyone starts. Once basic obedience is mastered, both on and off-leash, now off-leash is very important for service dog training. You will then go into the second phase of training, which is public access training. And that's the point at which you will purchase a vest, put the vest on the dog. It'll be labeled service dog in training. And you begin to take the dog with you to places that you normally go. Um, Stores, uh, shops, grocery stores, what have you. Wherever you go in your normal daily life, you would bring the dog with you. And... You know, whereas basic obedience may take three to four months, depending on, uh, you know, the skill of the handler and the aptitude of the dog public access training is going to take a minimum of six months. It's a longer-term experience. And during that time, you can also begin to train the third part of service dog training, which are the disability-related tasks or therapeutic functions. All in all, it takes about a year, uh, give or take a few months. And it's important to remember that a a one-year-old dog is still a developing dog. So your dog will get better and better over time. The key thing is to be consistent, and to approach every interaction that you have with the dog as a training moment.
1: Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Can any dog be a service dog, or does it have to be a specific breed?
0: Well, uh, that's actually two different questions, because first of all, um, you know, the service dog uh, world is is one of uh, changing environments, changing schedules, Uh, new things are happening to the dog all the time, and there are certain temperaments um, among dogs that don't really uh, mesh well with that. For example, if you have a dog that's very timid, afraid of new people, a dog that doesn't like any changes to its routine, it doesn't like to go out of its usual comfort zone, a dog with that kind of temperament probably is not going to adapt well to a service dog lifestyle. Um, On the other hand, if you have a dog that's very easygoing, very uh, kind of goes with the flow, and hopefully has been raised in lots of different environments, um, being exposed to people and other animals, a dog with that kind of temperament has a much better chance you know, of surviving the service dog training. Now, in terms of breed, there's really no one breed that stands out as being the best breed for psychiatric service dog work. But one thing we do let people know is that you want to avoid the high-energy breeds. Um, high-energy breeds would include uh, your German Shorthaired Pointers, your Vichlas, uh Dalmatians, Jack Russell Terriers, And and these high-energy breeds, it's not that they're not good dogs. Of course they're good dogs. But a lot of what service dogs do is lay quietly at their handler's feet. And a high-energy dog likes to be on the go all the time. And so the
1: lifestyle is a little bit in conflict with their energy level. Well, that certainly was very, very informative. Um, I, I know that my two, uh, my two Shitsus are really great service dogs for me. they provided so much. Um attention and focus and i agree with you extremely active dogs probably would not be a very good dog to do this kind of work Um i find that my dogs are pretty pretty easy going during the day now that they've grown out of the early stages of development and are now into uh... uh... their ages now are three and four years of age so um, if my, if a, if one of our listeners doctor does not believe in service dogs to help with their mental illness Um, What what can you do about that? What if the doctor just doesn't believe that a service dog has a role uh, with a person with a mental health issue? Unfortunately, the law does not require that
0: you get your doctor's approval to utilize a service animal, Um, so, you know, there's really no inhibition from a person uh, getting into this even though their doctor is skeptical. Um, But we do try to encourage folks to to cultivate uh, some interest with their doctors in this modality, and we have brochures uh, that they can print out from our website that are written specifically for the provider community. Community. We have an extensive list of articles available on our website, um, some of them for the lay audience, some of them for a clinical audience, and these have all been published. And, you know, you can print out some of these articles and bring them to your doctor, and, you know, hopefully he or she will come around. Uh, but, you know, in terms of thinking long-term, what we want to do here at the Psychiatric Service Dog Society is to obtain funding to conduct randomized clinical trials utilizing psychiatric service dogs and um, we've been working at trying to obtain that funding for a number of years now and you know that is really going to be the proof in the pudding over the long term peer-reviewed published research is something that doctors even skeptical doctors are likely to pay attention to.
1: Oh, that's a very good point. And I think that's an, an excellent area to keep your focus in. And, and I certainly hope many of our listeners will help um, by donating or, or donating time and energy to your cause. Joan, if you can, would you tell us why people should not touch or pet a service dog when they have their vest on? Oh, sure. Um, now this rule that
0: you, you know a lot of people here uh, you know don't t- touch a working dog the reason for that rule is it's it's for the benefit of the dog because dogs no matter what are still dogs and they love to play and when they have their vest on they're not supposed to play Uh, In fact, we tell people, if you want to play with your dog, take the vest off. So that vest is really a signal to the dog that it's time to be on our best behavior and that's our best public access behavior, which means focusing on their person, ignoring extraneous stimuli and other people, and that keeps dog on his best behavior so that's really the reason for not interfering
1: with a working dog well that certainly is very important information for our uh, listeners to hear Um, how much training is required to become a psychiatric service dog now i know you touched upon that a little bit earlier but can you tell us um, how much training is required i believe you said it's about a year of training
0: Certainly, one year would be a minimum. Um, But I would like to say that training for service dogs never really ends. Um, In order for a dog to maintain a very high level of training, that training has to be constantly reinforced. And that's why I tell people every interaction with your dog is a training moment. So training never ends. But in terms of that concerted effort of learning new material, at a minimum, that process is going to take a year. And in terms of cost, it's really um, it's dependent on your own finances. Uh, for most people, you know, we're not walking around being you know, professional dog trainers. We, we don't necessarily know how to train a dog to a very high level, and that's why we encourage people to work with a professional dog trainer. It doesn't have to be a service dog trainer per se, but, you know, if you're going to hire a professional dog trainer to train you in how to train your dog, and that. That focus is important. You're not hiring a trainer to train your dog. You're hiring a trainer to train you to train your dog. Um, At a minimum, you should expect to probably pay about $1,000 for training. And I know that seems like a lot of money for some, but if you compare that to the cost of a fully trained service dog coming from a program, that cost can be anywhere from $10,000 to $25,000 per dog so if you're spending a thousand dollars on training you're saving a lot of money. Um, you know service dogs cost money, uh, but I think a thousand dollars is much better than ten thousand
1: dollars. Well Joan, I think that our uh, listeners would also be uh, would also realize that by doing this they're learning a skill that will carry on for the rest of their lives not just something that they would do one time. It's something that they could always pull from those skills. Um, in the future. So that's a very important point. Thank you for mentioning that to us. Is it okay okay for a service dog to greet each other when two handlers stop and chat with one another? Well, the Um, is never allow your service
0: dog to approach another working dog without the handler's consent, and if both handlers agree to allow their dogs to say a a quick hello, then it's okay, but both dogs need to understand that hello does not mean let's play. Um, It's always the handler's responsibility to ensure that her service dog, while on duty, remains focused on her. not not other dogs in the vicinity or, or other activities that are going on in the environment. Service dogs are trained to ignore extraneous stimuli and other distractions, including other dogs, whether or not they're service dogs.
1: Well, thank you for I must ask you a question. You've alluded a couple of times in our discussion to it being her service dog, but we also realize that men could have service dogs as well. Is that correct?
0: bias here. The reason why I use her in a lot of my public comments is because what we found is about 90% of the people using psychiatric service dogs at this time appear to be women. And so it's really out of that kind of asymmetry that I use the female pronouns.
1: Well, I guess I'm just one I guess I'm the exception to the rules, Joe. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with our listeners. Can you tell me what are some of the downsides to using a service dog if there are any?
0: some downsides and it's important to consider these downsides before jumping into this because they can be significant. Um, First of all if you have a dog of any kind you must on a daily basis be responsive to the dog's needs. Um, No matter how you feel the dog has to go out to uh, relieve itself. The dog needs exercise on a daily basis Um, and dogs being social animals need to have contact with other other dogs than other people. So that's just part of the discipline of being a dog owner. But secondly, when you do go out into the community and you, you put your dog's vest or backpack on, you have to think about, well let's see, we're gonna be out for how long? Gee, what is my dog gonna need? Do I need to be bring some treats? my dog is very young I may need to keep some absorbent wipes in in his jacket just in case there's a problem. You have to kind of think ahead and that can reduce your spontaneity a little bit. The other thing that always surprises new handlers is that when you're out in public with a working dog, uh, meaning if that dog is wearing a jacket or a backpack that makes the dog identifiable as a service dog, you surprised at how many people are going to come up to you and since most mental health disabilities are invisible they're going to assume that you're training the dog for someone else and they will approach you, they will ask you questions, sometimes the questions are quite intrusive. Um, the, the intention on the part of the public is innocent but it's really exhausting to feel the questions all the time and you have to learn to deflect that kind of attention and it takes Time to learn how to do that in a nice way. Plus, because our disabilities are usually invisible, we are subject to more access challenges than, say, a person with a vision impairment who's using a guide dog. Um, and access challenges are very unpleasant. Sometimes they can exacerbate symptoms. Sometimes they're embarrassing. Um, and they really challenge us. And they're very upsetting. And yet, I tell people that whenever you have have an access challenge you have to face it you can't just walk away from it because when you walk away you've just trained the gatekeeper of public access in how to get rid of service dog teams so when the next team shows up And they get the same treatment. Well, you will have been responsible for that because you trained the gatekeeper to turn service dog teams away. So you've got to, you've got to sweat it out and, and make it through these access challenges. And sometimes, depending on geography, you know, they can be more frequent than at other, in other places. Uh, finally, you know, people are surprised uh, at the stress that having a service animal can place on their relationships with families and friends. Um, sometimes families are accepting of a person's choice to use a service dog, um, and sometimes some family members are not accepting. For example, I've heard many stories where people with psychiatric service animals have been told, yes, we'd love to have you over for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, but leave your dog home we don't like dog hair in our house and the person is usually stunned that their relative would make such a requirement knowing how how much therapeutic value that dog has to the individual and so that obviously can be stressful. As far as friends go, I've heard of stories where friends have said, oh, well, I think it's great that you're using the dog and everything, but I just want to go to the mall just for a couple hours, and I really, really don't want you to bring your dog because I've got friends at the mall, and I just don't want them to see me with someone who has a service dog. And people are often really surprised that their longtime friend would have a view like that and would impose it on, on them and so sometimes friendships end because a person has decided to adopt the service dog lifestyle
1: well it sounds like our listeners if they do have a service dog or are contemplating it should really think about these responses before they take and and take on the responsibility of the service dog because it sounds like it can be very stressful
0: to folks, and this is entirely without charge, is we have an online learning environment which takes the form of a listserv. And anyone with a mental health disability who wants to learn about psychiatric service dogs in order to make that informed decision for themselves is welcome to join our listserv. And we have a very large community, and everyone is so supportive of one another, and we answer questions all day long. And and so this is a great, no-cost way to really test the waters to see if this is for you or not.
1: Well, it's also important for our listeners to understand that if they do not have a computer in their home, they could go to the public library and still access your site and still access this very important free information that you're giving away.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, and there are free email accounts that you can get the library computer, uh, Yahoo or Gmail, and that's how the mail from our group can come to you. And I think as long as you check the mailbox relatively frequently and clear out the messages when you're done, the library
1: probably wouldn't have a problem with it. Well, I think this is excellent advice that we've offered everybody. Joan, in closing, is there anything that you would like to share with our participants that you think would be helpful in making this kind of a decision or finding out more information about it?
0: Well, oh, yes, I would encourage anyone who's curious about psychiatric service dogs to visit our website. And that URL is www.psychdog.org. And psych is spelled just like psychology, P is in Peter, S is in Sam, Y-C-H-D-O-G. O-R-G. and our website is pretty extensive and goes into great detail about requirements, what the lifestyle is like um, I think you'll find it to be a wealth of information
1: Well, I can't thank you enough for sharing this with our listeners I think this is very, very valuable information and I'm very glad that you and I were able to make a connection and I think we're going to be taking and talking in the future because I agree with you I think the research component is a critical piece to understanding what really goes on between the individual and the dog and how people can benefit from that, because I think we have a lot more exploring to do on that.
0: Definitely, and I thank you very much for inviting me to participate today.
1: Okay, Joan. You have a great day, and thank you again.
0: All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been a production of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. For more information, go to www.dbsalliance.org or call 1-800-826-3632. We've been there. We can help.